0: The gospel reading today is Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Friend, who set me to be the judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Then he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly. And he thought to himself, What should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, I will do this. I will put down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat drink be merry but God said to him you fool this very night your life is being demanded of you and the things you have prepared whose will they be so it is with those who store up treasures for themselves but are not rich towards God this is the word of the Lord thanks be to God
1: Jesus is teaching in this story what it means to be a disciple. And so he tells us a parable about a man who has a problem. The land that the landowner owned produced crops in abundance. And when they took everything in, he realized that he did have a problem. He realized that he didn't have enough space to hold all of the abundance that the land Have produced. Many of us would consider this to be a good problem to have, wouldn't we? So he says to himself, the man says, it actually says that he spoke to his soul, which means that he's speaking to the deepest part of who he believes he is, and here is what he says to my soul that I will do with all my stuff. I will tear down all my barns, I will build bigger ones and newer ones so that all that I own can be in one place together. Then the man thinks to himself, I won't have any worries. I'll have plenty stored up for myself and then at last I can eat, drink and be merry and life will be just great. I know that I have a problem, the man says. The man says to his soul, But I know that I can fix this problem. It's the problem of never enough, but I can fix it. I have a plan, and that plan of mine will bring me security to the deepest part of myself. It's a dream we all have, isn't it? To be self secure, to be self sufficient to know that we have enough for the rest of our days. Sounds like a pretty good story so far, doesn't it? Perhaps even a very compelling story on the Sunday after Black Friday, and Black Saturday, Black Friday that began sometime on Thursday night, I understand. So what's the problem, Jesus? Why are you telling us the story Well, Jesus doesn't like the man's solution because Lord knows that the man is working on the wrong problem. So Jesus reorients our thinking. Life is not about you. Your job is not to achieve and to acquire. You fool, don't you know that tonight you will die? And all that you saved for yourself, all those plans that you made, guess what? They'll be having an estate sale to get rid of all that stuff that you thought would last forever. Wow. So it is, Jesus says, so it is with all those who store up for themselves treasures but are not rich toward God. Jesus even give us the moral of the story, the moral It's not like you have to guess what he's about here. He says, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Two things to note. Did you notice that he says all kinds of greed as if there are more than one kind of greed? Got to be careful. And secondly, note that right after this, Jesus begins telling us that wonderful story. Do not worry about your life. Look at the lilies of the field. Look at the birds in the air. Life does not consist about the abundance of possessions. It's a joy to be able to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. As difficult as it is and as much as it collides with all the things that are happening around us, the Bible tries to teach us things that are deeply important. It especially confronts us when we begin speaking to our souls. There is a tyranny, a tyranny, a tyranny. There is an oppressive power that takes hold of us when we want to spend all of our money on ourselves. God is not against rich people. God is against selfish people, those who are not rich toward God. And so the rich are anyone who put themselves first. When we we are rich toward ourselves, then we look at what all that we have. We look at the 100% of our wealth, the 100% of our income, and we say to ourselves, to our souls, look at all that I have. But you know what? I still don't have this or that or the other. So I must need more. I don't have enough. I need more. There begins a cycle of never-ending, there's not enough, there's never enough. Or as in the rocking horse winner, there must be more money, there must be more money, there must be more money. It's a never-ending cycle. That is why the rich man is considered a fool, because he was trying to fix the problem of never enough by what? Acquiring more stuff. Like Einstein said, no problem can be solved from the same level of consciousness that created the problem. Read the parable again. The only words the man ever said was, I, me, and mine. Even though he had large barns, he led a small existence. He worked hard, but he hardly worked for the right reasons. So the rich fool needs a miracle in his life. He needed the miracle of a tithe. If you look at all that you have and then you keep 100% of that for yourself, you become trapped. But if you become rich toward God, then you give away 10% of your harvest, 10% of your bonus, 10% of your wealth. And then that's when the miracle occurs. Because then you look at the 90% that you have left and you realize, I don't need everything, I am free. I am not trapped. 10% is a huge chunk. I encourage you to do what you can now and then work up to 10% slowly. If you haven't ever pledged before, start with 1% of what you make and then increase it by 1% until you get up to 10%. So that takes. Ten years, it takes a long time. That's okay. And I know that there are many of you who are on fixed incomes, and the cost of heat and gas and bread and insurance, all those keep rising. There's always repairs to be done on the house. Just do what you can to be faithful. But my message this morning is mostly to those of us who are working full-time, Because we are bringing in plentiful harvests, and I know how alluring the problem of the rich fool can be. I know how enticing consumerism is, and how powerful we think we are when we can go buy and acquire. I also know about stewardship, and I know that everyone who talks about tithing says the same thing. It is a joy. When we speak of it about our church, the tears come to us because it's our soul speaking good news. Our stewardship scripture that Alex read is from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, where Paul is speaking of the generosity of the Corinthian people. He says that even they asked and they begged us to let them have the joy of giving their money for God's people or in the NRSV for the saints, he goes on to say, and they gave themselves first to the Lord. What if everyone who is working full-time was at that point as well, giving as much as they could and even more? Think about what kind of church that would be a church where everyone who is working full-time is talking to each other about the joy of giving, and then we're debating about whether it should be on net or gross. Now that's an argument to have. Think about it, a church where everyone is able to stand up year after year and joyfully and humbly give minutes for stewardship like Paula did today. Could next year be your turn where you share what giving to the church or giving your money away to whoever has meant to you in the last 12 months. Okay, David, you say, we get it. What's the point, though? Why should we bother? Well, first, I'd say that on a personal level, giving your money away will change you. Giving your money away is a spiritual discipline just like praying or reading your Bible. A life of prayerful devotion to God changes us so that we grow into Christ likeness. And it's the same thing with how we handle our money. We would never tell a Christian, it's okay, you don't need to pray. It's okay, reading your Bible is not that important. So why would we say that about how we handle our money? Generosity rather than greed expands your worldview. It makes your universe larger. It makes your God more glorious. The rich fool's life was just too small. His God was too small. But secondly, on a larger level, I would say that giving to the church will help to continue to transform this church each year our pattern is to let the budget control us the first new do- new idea that anyone has is always met with the f- initial response what is it do we have money for that in the budget new ideas should not be limited by some arbitrary budget, which is only a spreadsheet with numbers black on white paper. What if we shifted our thinking on this? I don't mean that we would start wasting money and spending recklessly. That is not who we are. I think that would open up a world of new possibilities. And isn't that what the business of God is, new? possibilities? Isn't the kingdom of God different than the kingdom of consumerism? Why can't we dream about a surplus? Why do we have to let the budget dictate what we can do? Congregational meetings, we should fight in them. They should be stressful because we were fighting over how to spend the extra money. Should it go to Camp Wyoming or should it go to another good cause? Yes, we are already a generous church. We give to the budget, and we give to Presbyterian special offerings, and we support the youth mission trips. Yes, we are already a generous church. But the call is to become extravagant in our generosity. I know of a church in Fort Worth that committed to fund international missionaries, and this was above and beyond what they needed for their annual operating budget. We, too, can do crazy, innovative things. If you would like, the session can easily come up with a plan. And here's, it's what, here's what we do with our extra money plan. What We could do more. We could do more with the pastoral residency program. We could do more with a church organist. We need to increase our local mission giving as a percentage each year to keep pace with the percentage that we increase for staff raises so that our mission giving, our giving to Muscatine County always keep pl- keeping pace with inflation. I guarantee you people would be more joyful about giving to the church budget if they knew that more and more each year is being given away to support the need of Christ here in Muscatine County. Why do we need to let the budget drive us We are in charge of the the spreadsheet. It does what we tell it to do. So do you see how the problem of generosity is different than the problem of the rich fool? His problem was, what do I do with all of my stuff? the problem that results from extravagant generosity is much different. Listen to the posture of that. It says, how can we bless others with how we have been blessed ourselves? The difference is all the difference in the world. Last year, I gave you an example with a budget of $300,000 that all we needed was 100 people who made $30,000 and all those 100 people tithed 10%, which each each person making making $30,000, they would tithe $3,000 per year. With 100 people, that's $300,000. We would easily make our commitments. You responded generously last year with 105 commitments totaling $301,457, which equaled a nearly $30,000 increase from the year before. I believe that we can have the same increase this year because we are a healthy church with vital ministries that are impacting lives inside these walls, and outside these walls. Let's give the session the good problem to have, the problem of how to share the bounty of God. I know it's never a question of not enough money. It's simply a matter of where the money is. As I've mentioned several times before this fall, God does not ask you to do more. Mostly the stories in the gospel are trying to teach us not to do more, but to do things differently. I think the story of the rich fool is exactly the same. God isn't asking the rich fool to go and make more. God just expected the fool to handle what he had differently in a more faithful manner. So it is with us and our pocketbooks. The call is not for you to go and make more money next year. It's simply to handle it more faithfully. The message of consumerism is that you need to make more, acquire more, buy more, spend more, save more, remember all kinds of greed, But giving away always leads to the freedom. It will free you from the tyranny of never enough. Jesus started his parable about the rich fool because he was asked a question about how to handle inheritance for a farm. And so he tells a story about a man who owned a farm. And so I'll close today with a story about two brothers who inherit a farm. And I think it's a story about extravagant generosity. And perhaps today it can serve as the solution to the problem of the rich fool. Once there were two brothers who inherited a farm and worked together for years in brotherly love. After a time one of them found a wife, so the brothers divided up the farm. The married one built a new house and lived with his wife, while the single brother lived by himself in the old house. The brothers' farms flourished and became wealthy. The one who had a wife eventually had a large family, ten children, but the other brother was still looking for a wife. He was alone. One day, the unmarried brother thought to himself, I've got this whole farm and all this money, but I only have myself to take care of. My brother has the same amount as me, but he has 12 mouths to feed. So in the middle of the night, the brother took some bundles of wheat, climbed up the hill that separated the two farms, then over to his brother's farm, putting the wheat in his brother's silo. One night, the married brother was thinking to himself, you know, I've got 10 kids. I've got a wife. My world is rich. But my brother, he's all alone. What does he have? All he has is wheat. So in the middle of the night, he took a bundle of wheat, climbed up the hill, and carried it over to his brother's silo. Back and forth, each of the brothers went. Every night, each one would climb the hill, pass over to the other side, and put wheat in the other's silo. And the next morning, each one always wondered, how come I have the same amount of wheat? (laughs) One night, while they were passing over to bring the other their bundles of wheat, the two brothers met at the top of the hill. And immediately they understood what had been happening. They fell into each other's arms, hugging and kissing. And according to the Jewish story that we're listening to, it is on that site where the brothers met that the Almighty God chose to build the Holy Temple. And may the Lord continue to build a place of hope and peace and love on this hill as well.